So when I was, um, when I was two years old, um, my, my dad made a decision that would forever alter the trajectory of my life, the trajectory of my life. Uh, my dad was a dentist in private practice. When he was two, he decided to join the Navy as a dentist instead of being in private practice. And if any of you have ever been connected with the military, you know that, man, when you're in the military, you live where they tell you you're going to live, you know? And so, like, growing up from the time I was two years old until the time I moved out of my parents' house at 18, uh, we moved, like, every three years. And sometimes we'd actually live in a place for just nine months and move. One time we lived in a place for two years, but at least every three years we were packing up and moving to a new city, which meant new schools, new churches, new friend groups, all these things. And, uh, you know, if, if you've ever moved around a lot, one of the things that it, it teaches you, it teaches you a lot about friendship, and the process of making friends, especially how painful it can be to make friends. You know, when I was really young, it didn't matter. You know, you put like two six-year-olds in a room together, man, they can become fast friends, like immediately doing whatever it is six-year-olds do together to have fun. Like, they just immediately seem like they've known each other forever, you know? But man, once you get into like middle school and then high school, it's like, oh my goodness, making friends can feel like one of the hardest things in the world. I'll never forget... Uh, the, the summer before my junior year of high school, we moved. I mean, what an awful time to have to move, you know? Like, you had to spend two years at a high school before you're done. And I remember coming in before my junior year, and I started the school, and I had kind of a bad attitude. I was mad about moving, you know? And I'll never forget the first day of school. I show up, and before school, everybody's hanging out outside before the bell rings, talking to each other, and I'm just like that dude that's just like standing there, you know, no one to talk to, looking around. And the worst moment, if you've ever started a new school, you know, like the worst moment... Is, is, is the cafeteria. It's like, man, you walk in there, and I'll never forget the first day at this school. This is in, in, in Charleston, South Carolina, and, and I walk in, and I've got my lunch. I brought my lunch that day, and I step into these double doors in the cafeteria, and it is like this sea of people who all seem to know each other. Everybody knows somebody, and somebody, they all seem to know everybody, and then there's me, and I'm standing there with my lunch in my hand, and I'm like, where do I sit? You know, if I sit at the wrong table, they might not like me. They might not talk to me. They might reject me. Like, where do, if I sit in the wrong crowd, and then immediately I'm starting on the wrong foot at this brand new school. It's like, where do I sit? So what did I do? I turned around and I walked right back out. Because you were allowed to eat outside at this school. And so I went and found a bench. And like a true loner that refused to make friends, I sat there and ate my lunch by myself. And then because I was embarrassed to be by myself as other people walked by, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to block it all out. I laid down and I took a nap. <laughs> and I remember like... First day at a new school, how not to make friends, like take a nap during lunch, which is what I did. And I'll never forget, I'm laying there taking a nap, and I hear these girls walk by, because I'm not really asleep, you know, I'm just closing my eyes, because I don't want to see them looking at me with pity in their eyes. And I, I, I hear these, these girls walk by, and I hear this girl goes, is, is he sleeping? Is that guy asleep? And I'm just like, ah, you know, just so embarrassed, you know. But here's the thing, that, that moment of walking into the middle school cafeteria, or the high school cafeteria as the new kid. It's this moment that we face when, we, when we're younger, but if we're honest, we find ourselves in that high school cafeteria moment way more often than we would want it to be in our lives. You know, it comes on us all the time. Like if you've ever moved to a new city, no matter how old you are, you start the new workplace. You know, some of you started college this year for the first time. Some of you tra transferred here to go to college. Some of you uh, moved here because you felt like, man, this was your calling to come to Nashville and try to make it. And anytime you move to a new city, start a new job, whatever it is, you find yourself in this place of having to start over with friendship. And man, it can just be so hard. But there's something in us, all of us, we have this longing for friendship, right? 
There's this longing for connection. Why, why do we put ourselves through all the hardship of having to meet people for the first time and put ourselves out there and be noticed? Because there's just something in us that longs for connection. You know, scientific studies are showing over and over again the importance of friendship in the lives uh, of humanity. And uh, doctors now are finding that there's actually connections between deep friendships and our physical health. That close friends actually have a way, you know, close friendships actually reduce stress and improve your ability to walk through stressful situations. That close friendships actually have been shown to strengthen your immune system. That when you're in deep, secure friendships, you have an ability to fight off infection and inflammation more than you do if you're living in loneliness. That close friendships have a way of improving our self-confidence and our self-awareness. There's all these things, these benefits of friendship, and we all long for friendship. And yet there's this other thing at work in our culture. It seems like it is harder and harder to form those friendships. I mean, there's a study after study that's coming out right now that is talking about how in America right now we have this epidemic of loneliness, that more people are lonely now in our country than ever have been before. They say, especially for adult men, it is harder and harder to make what they would call a close friend. And yet there's this, this counselor uh, therapist named uh, Suzanne Deggs-White, and she's known for all the research she's done into friendship and the importance of friendship. And she has this really interesting observation about our culture. She says, you know, the, the process of making true friends actually has not changed. It's not any harder. Like the process of making friends, this process of getting to know someone, putting yourself out there, them getting to know you, is kind of this exchange that goes back and forth between two people. She says that process has not changed. She says what has changed is that we have used one word as kind of a blanket label to describe acquaintances, Acquaintances of acquaintances, good friend, close friend, marginal friend. We use one word to describe it all, this blanket label of friend. And much of that has been distorted because of the social media world. And she says this, her quote is, you know, the reality is all of the followers, Facebook friends, subscribers, etc., that we have, most of them are not at all even going to be considered candidates for true friends. As you probably have little in common, Seldom, if ever, see them in person, and you probably could not call on them for much in the way of support. And yet we use the same word to describe them all, friends. And so we wonder why we long for connection, because the one word we have to describe that connection has been watered down so much that we don't even know what it means anymore. And we're wrapping up this series called Rooted. We've been asking the question, what does it look like to live deeply in a culture that is just constantly shifting, changing, moving, and we've looked at all these different facets of what it means to live deeply. And the place that we're landing is we're going to say, hey, it requires deep friendship. True friendship is one of the aspects of what it takes to live deeply in this world. And yet, I'm just going to be real honest right up front. Uh, my main point for today is not for us to talk about the, our need for friendship with each other, although that matters. The way that we live deeply in a culture that is constantly shifting is by deep friendship with Jesus. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and name this for what it is, because some of you are visiting, some of you are the first time here, some of you like never come to church, and you're like, what in the world? Like, be friends with Jesus. Like, it sounds like the cheesiest. Like, I just lured you in by getting you to agree with me that we all need friends, we all need friends, and then I'm like, yeah, friends with Jesus. Like, I Jesus juked you. Like, totally. It's like, I know that's what it feels like, okay? Let, let me just say that. But here's the thing. The reality is we all come into church with expectations, 
We come into Christianity with the expectations. We show up here, and yes, we expect to, maybe you expect to find religion or religious rituals. You expect to find religious practices that hopefully will point you to some deeper level of spirituality. You show up and we expect, we expect to find hope. We expect to hear about salvation. We expect to hear about joy. We have all these expectations. We expect maybe we'll get some kind of divine insight. Maybe we'll make a physical human friend. Maybe. But how many of us show up to Christianity, show up to church with this expectation that you actually can be friends with the one who started it all, the one who made it all, the one who created everything, that there is friendship with God through Jesus available? How many of us expect, is it possible, is it possible to even have friendship with a man who lived 2,000 years ago in physical form on this earth, is that even possible? Should we expect that? And I'm gonna hold out for us today that, guys, we should not only just expect it, but, man, it is what will root you, is what will root you in a culture that is constantly shifting, constantly shifting what it looks like to have true friendship and to true community. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna find our place of, you know, does the Bible even say that we can be friends with God through Jesus? Can we be friends with Jesus? And we're going to find ourselves in the Gospel of John. And I love the Gospel of John because it's, it's written by a guy named John, you know, but John, John wasn't just a guy named John. He was like one of Jesus' closest friends over and over again in all four Gospels. We see that Jesus seems to spend more time with three particular people, Peter, James, and John. And many suspect that John himself was actually the closest friend of Jesus. He's the one that while he's on the cross, Jesus entrusts his own mother to John, the guy who writes this book. If there was anybody who had any understanding of what friendship and intimacy with Jesus looked like, it was John. And I love it. You know, I was in John, uh, John 13 just a couple weeks ago when we were talking about humility, but John chapter 13 through 17 are one of the most beautiful little stretches of Scripture you can find when it comes to understanding friendship with Jesus. It's Jesus' last meal before he dies on the cross, and he's spending time with his closest friends, and you see all these intimate exchanges, these words, words that Jesus holds out to his friends. And we're going to jump and find ourselves right in the middle of that chunk of text, John 13 to John 17. We're going to be in John chapter 15. We're going to read verses 9 through 17. We'll have these words on the screen, or you can find this on page 737 in the orange Bibles that we have here. Um, so I'll read this out loud. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Uh, this, is, this is Jesus speaking. He's, he's there with his closest friends uh, the day that he's going to give his life. And this is what he says. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Listen to this. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last 
And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. There's so many things in this little, little passage that we could pull out and look at. So many, so many things. It was hard for me to even narrow down. Like, man, where, 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 do we, where do we unpack here? There's so much. Like Jesus giving us his joy. Jesus telling us the secrets of the Father. Jesus inviting us into all these things. But what is the place we need to land? And I, I just kept coming back to this idea of friendship. That Jesus says, I am calling you friends. I'm calling you my friends. He says, he says I, I no longer call you servants. That's what he says here. I'm not calling you servants. I'm, I, because servants don't know their master's business, I'm calling you friends. Now, we need to be really clear on what's happening here. Two chapters earlier in John 13, Jesus looks at the same guys, and he says, hey, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, because that is what I am. Like Jesus himself, he says, hey, it is true. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. Over and over again in the Bible, Jesus is going to be held up as teacher, Lord, King of kings, Son of God. In Matthew 28, he says, I have all authority, all power. Jesus' status stays up here as the one exalted, the one elevated. And so what's happening here when he says, hey, I'm calling you my friends? You know, what happens too often in our culture is we think what that means is somehow Jesus gets kind of relegated down to our position that Jesus gets reduced from being king, Lord, Savior, Master, Messiah, and somehow he comes down just to be our buddy. Because Jesus is not reduced here. Jesus does not reduce himself. If anything, what he's speaking to is the way that he longs for you to see yourself the way he sees you. He is not lowering himself but raising you up. He says, yes, I'm teacher, I'm Lord, I'm king of kings, and what I want you to see is that I look at you, my servant, those who serve me, those who follow me, I'm looking at you, and I say, you are my friend, I am your friend. This is what Ephesians 2 talks about when it says, hey, we've been seated in heavenly places, that Jesus looks at you and he says, hey, don't you see what what God is doing? He's, He's lifting you up to a level that you never believed about yourself, that you never knew could be true about yourself. He's not reducing himself, but he's raising us up. He looks at his followers. He looks at us, and he says, I offer you friendship. I chose you. He says, I don't have any secrets. I've shared everything with you. And everything they had shared with them, they wrote down. We have shared with us. He says, I long to show you the deepest things about God. This is what the Bible says over and over again, that nobody knows the the mind of God except the Spirit of God himself. In 1 Corinthians, Paul will say, hey, listen, that's the spirit that longs to make God known to you. That like a close friend, he wants to let us in on the deepest things of who he is. Jesus says, I chose you. I shared everything with you. He says, and I have laid down my life for you. What greater level of love can one show than that? You see, Jesus holds himself out. He is Savior, Lord, Master, Redeemer, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He holds all those things out, and he says, and I call you my friend. Man, what an honor. Like, what a gift. But how many of us really believe that we get to relate to the King of Kings as friend? You know, many of us, the reality is we come to this idea of Jesus as friend, and we can only see it through whatever lens we have seen friendship through on earth. As I wrestled with this all week, I kept going, yeah, God, I know you offer us this friend. I'm like, but, but man, some of us have a pretty twisted view of friendship. Like, there are some of us in the room, some of you, you know, you've had a lot of deep and really good friendships. And so you can understand this idea of, of Jesus being friend. But man, what if all of your friendships 
have been kind of messed up. Some of us come to this idea of friendship and, and we come with kind of a, a cynical or guarded lens that we view it through. Because some of you have had close friends and they're the ones that have hurt you the most. Some of you have friends that have betrayed you. I've heard people tell stories about friends taking them to, to a meal to break up with them. It's like some of you have only been hurt by those who have called themselves your closest friends. And so when you hear this idea of Jesus being friend, there's a little bit of like, yeah, but... Eh. Some of you have longed for friendship, and yet it has felt like the most elusive thing to find. It has felt like water through your fingers. And everywhere you go, you find yourself dealing with loneliness. And you go, yeah, friends, but I know, I know how hard that really is. Some of you hear friends, and friend is just this seasonal thing because you are from one friend group to the next, and like, yeah, friend is a friend for a little while until I move on to the next group of friends, and then I change who I am. And it's like, friends are seasonal. For, for some of you, friends are just this online place where you connect with people that you've never seen in person, and all you know is what they want to reveal about themselves to you, which often is very little. For some of you, friendship has just been this surface thing because your friends are really just your acquaintances, the people you watch sports with or go shopping with. It's like, man, we all have a different lens of what friendship is, and I struggled this week. Like, what does friendship with Jesus look like if our only view of friendship has been the, 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 the lowly view of friendship that sometimes that we offer to one another? You know, it was really interesting. Uh, the last few nights, my, my wife has not been sleeping very well, and um, it was no different last night. I remember, actually, I woke up. I woke up at like, you know, uh, like 2.30 in the morning and she's sitting up in bed with a light on writing and she's got a smile on her face. I'm like, what is wrong with you? It's 2.30 in the morning. Like, you, you should be miserable that you're awake. And I went back to sleep, you know, like any normal human being would. And then I, I, when I woke up this morning to get ready for the day, she's sitting there still, like this huge smile on her face. And she says, hey, I haven't been able to stop thinking about what we talked about last night. We were talking about this idea of Jesus' friend. And she says, I couldn't sleep like the last couple nights. And she said, but I felt like Jesus was inviting me. She goes, so I went through the gospel of John and I just asked God, I'm like, God, what, what is a friendship with Jesus? And ultimately she was asking this deep question of what is true friendship, period? And how does Jesus define it for his friend John in the way that John tells the story? And it was really beautiful. She said, I, I, as I walked through the, the book of John, I found these 10 characteristics of friendship. And she wrote them down. And so uh, a little disclaimer, I have no idea if there's any misspelled words or anything on this slide I'm about to put up because I made it this morning after my wife told me these, these 10 words. But she shared it with me. I thought, I just need to share that with our family. Like if you, if you hear the word friend and it's fractured or broken, it's like John holds out for us through the life of Jesus what a true friend actually looks like. And so let's put this slide up here. He says, listen, as recorded by, by Jesus' closest friend, according to Jesus... Ten things. True friends, first of all, they serve each other. Like if you're in a relationship and it's all self-centered on the other person, it's like, man, that's not what Jesus is holding out for you. John 13, he washes their feet. Number two, true friends are trustworthy. You can count on them. They're reliable. John 14, Jesus starts talking about this. He says, listen, I may be going away, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. There's this thing. He says, I'm going to be with you. I long to come to you. I won't leave you as orphans. Jesus, he says, I am reliable. I'm trustworthy. Every promise he makes, he keeps. Scour the scripture. Look for the places where a promise is made and see if Jesus does not fulfill it. True friends, I love this. They rub off on us. 
Have you ever noticed that those you spend the most time with, you start to talk like them? <laughs> you start to look like them somewhat. You know, you start, your mannerisms rub off on each other. It's like, man, true friends, and Jesus does this so well. We see this over and over again in the scripture where he rubs off on his closest followers. And he says in John 14, he's like, hey, I'm going to give you my joy. I'm going to give you my peace. All the things I have, I want to give to you. I love it. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, hey, we are the aroma of Christ. It's like as a friend, Jesus longs to rub off on you in all the best ways and give you all the big qualities of who he is. True friends, number four, they encourage each other. Man, you just read John 13 through 17. Sit down and read it all the way through over and over again. Jesus knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to leave his friends. Even after he resurrects that he's going to leave and he's looking at them and over and over again, he just keeps trying to encourage them. Take hope. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. True friends encourage you in every and any situation. Number five, true friends pray for each other. Guys, did you know did you know there is a written account of Jesus praying for you? I can't stress how important this is. Because we look at Jesus and we go, man, yeah, Jesus as a friend, you know, like, he lived 2,000 years ago. How am I supposed to be friends with him? Guys, Jesus, Jesus prayed for you then and he prays for you now. And it's amazing. If you want to know what Jesus prays for you, go read John chapter 17. He starts by praying for his disciples that are there with him, but then he prays for all those who will believe because of the ministry that they begin. He prays for you. True friends pray for each other. Number six, true friends want to see each other. Man, I think about, I have a lot of friends in my life that are long distance friends because I've met them in other cities and other, place, other times in my life. Man, it, I love to see them. I love to see them. I have a few friends that I've known most of my life, and I think about every time we get together, it's like, ah, oh, I'm not satisfied that we're far away and that we can only communicate by text. I want to be with them, to see them. And Jesus, you know, I love this at the very beginning of John. John makes it so clear. He says, hey, Jesus came and made his dwelling among us for a reason. He wanted to be with us, among us. He wants to see us. Number seven, true friends ask hard questions. Now, this one sounds counterintuitive to us. But did you know that your true friends, they want you to be the best version of who you are, and they're willing to ask you really hard questions? In John chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus comes to this man who's been sitting next to this pool, and he looks at him, and it sounds like kind of a rude question. Jesus says, hey, do you want to walk? Dude, he's a cripple. He's sitting by this pool waiting to be healed. He sits by the pool all the time, and Jesus looks at him, and he asks him this really hard question, like, hey, do you want to walk? In other words, are you satisfied being where you are? Do you want something more? Jesus does this. Uh, in, 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 John, in this account in John chapter 13 through 17, he does this over and over again. He looks at, at Thomas. Thomas says, hey, Jesus, will you show us the Father? And Jesus looks at Thomas and says, don't you know me? Don't you even know who I am, Thomas? He asks us the hard questions because he sees all that is possible in you, and he wants you to be able to live into that. True friends hold us accountable. True friends, when they see us touting down a path that is bent on our destruction, they're not satisfied with that. True friends, Jesus looks at, at, at Peter in John, in John chapter 14, he says, yeah, you're, Peter, you're going to deny me today. <laughs> like, what? He holds him accountable. I love this. In John chapter 4, Jesus comes to this woman that he meets at the well. And he begins to talk to her. And he says, hey, listen, you haven't had just one husband. He like calls her out as he's just met her. He begins to reveal all the things in her life that have not lined up with God, what God has for her. He doesn't do that because he's mean or spiteful. He does it because he's a good friend and he knows there's more for her. True friends, they have your back. 
have your back. My wife and I, we say this all the time from the day we got married. It's like this phrase that we always say to one another. She'll look at me and when we say, hey, we've got to have each other's back. If we don't have one another's back, then who will? You know, true friends, you're going to have moments in your life where it feels like everybody's turning on you. It feels like life is falling apart. True friends are those that are loyal, that stand by your side, even when you have hurt them and they still keep coming back because they love you. Jesus has our back. He intercedes for us before the throne of God Almighty. And number 10, true friends have compassion. And I know I'm going through these really quickly because I, just, I want you to see at a glance, like I don't know what your experience with friendship has been. But this is a picture of the friendship that Jesus offered, not just to his physical friends while he walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, but this is a picture of the friendship he offers to you right now. This is who he is. I want to name kind of the elephant in the room. It's like, man, how does Jesus do all of that stuff for me if I can't sit down with him at a coffee table and talk to him? You know, you get over to John chapter 16. And Jesus says, listen, you're, you're distressed because I've told you I'm leaving. He says, you know, it's actually better for you that I leave because when I leave, I will send the Holy Spirit. In 14, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send someone else to you. Do you know, you can actually, like, you can know God. Guys, you can know it. This is not a mental exercise that we're doing here. This is not wishful thinking. Like, you can know Jesus. His spirit will live in you. You can encounter him in real ways. All those characteristics of friendship, he offered it then, and he offers it now. It's just who he is. It's his character. Yeah, I recently was reading the story of uh, Richard Vermbrand, who was a, uh, he was a church planter in communist Romania in the 1900s, and he, he, was, he would plant these underground churches some of you have heard of him because he started this organization called Voice for the Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, Richard was arrested, he was tortured, he was mistreated um, by communist Romania because of his attempt to plant churches and to spread the gospel of Jesus. And there was one part in his life where he was incarcerated uh, for 14 years. For three of those years, he was in solitary confinement in a 12 by 12 cell where he had no interaction with any human beings for three straight years. Now, all scientific studies would say that that should drive him insane. Like, no human interaction. He should be certifiably insane when he comes out of there. And yet, this is what he says. He says, the prison years did not seem too long to me. For I discovered alone in my cell that beyond belief and love, there is a delight in God. A deep an extraordinary ecstasy and happiness that is like nothing in this world. And when I came out of jail, I was like someone who comes down from a mountaintop where he has seen for miles around the peace and beauty of the countryside and now returns to the plains. Guys, friendship with Jesus, it is real. How do you make sense of a dude that sits in jail for 14 years and he comes out and he says, oh, it was like ecstasy. I had nobody but Jesus for three straight years. And he comes out full of joy and hope and peace. How do you explain that? Because I'm telling you, the way we stay rooted in a culture that keeps changing is there is one who does not change. And he looks at you and he calls you friend. He calls you friend. 
You know, over, over the course of a life where I have moved so many times, I have just a handful of friends that I've known for more than 20 years. And there's something about when I get to see them, I, you know, I can remember anytime I get to see these friends, there's this look that they have in their eye. <laughs> Man, I'm so glad to see you. And I remember the first time I actually encountered Jesus. You know, this will sound weird to some of you. You know, I, was, I grew up in church, spent my whole life in church, but it was, wasn't until really my early 30s that I actually encountered Jesus. My wife had been going to this prayer ministry while we lived in Canada where she kept telling me that she was like meeting with Jesus. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. That's kind of weird. And she's like, no, you just need to come. You need to come. So finally she convinces me to come. And I think I've told this story here before, but I'll never forget it. It was like a defining moment in my walk with Christ. I walk into this weird prayer room with these people that are going to say they're going to pray for me and just ask Jesus to show up. And I'm like, you know, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I don't know what you're talking about. And they say, yeah, we'll just, you just pray. We're going to ask Jesus to show up. <laughs> you let us know when, when you sense that he's near. And I'm like, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> so I'm like sitting there with my head bowed, my eyes closed. And they start praying and inviting Jesus. And I don't know how to explain what I experienced except for that I met Jesus. I had my eyes closed, and in my mind's eye, I could see him. And I thought for sure when I met Jesus, he was going to show up, and he was going to show me all the ways I wasn't measuring up. He was going to show me all the ways I needed to improve because I was trying really hard, but I could try harder. And as I had my eyes closed there, I saw him. And what I saw, the look in his eyes, was the same look that I see on my friends when I come into town after not seeing them for months and months and months. And it was this look that Jesus looked at me and it said, man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you've come. The way Jesus chose to reveal himself to me for the first time when I first encountered him, when I allowed him to, to be seen, was this image of a friend. That he chose deep friendship to show me how he feels about me. Because this is what Jesus offers. He says, you're my friends. You're my friend. You're my friend. Now, you know, he goes on and he says this, this phrase. You probably noticed it when I read it. He says, he says, I've called you friends. And then he says, you're my friends if. And we read that, and I know it sounds conditional. It sounds like Jesus is being like the manipulative bully who's like, hey, I'll be your friend as long as you give me your lunch money. And uh, every day, you know, I'll take care of you. It's like, no, it's like, is Jesus like offering us this conditional friendship? But here's what Jesus is saying. He's already said, listen, guys, he goes, he goes through and he kind of qualifies. He says, I chose you. Like, greater love is, is no one than to lay down their lives. Like, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I've already washed your feet. I've served you. I've, shown, I've chosen you. In other words, I am your friend. I'm offering you my friendship. Now, will you offer me your friendship back? He says, I'm your friend. You're my friend if you obey my commands. And these commands are so important. Like if you're longing for friendship, you've got to understand what friendship with Jesus looks like. You know, in this passage, he kind of gives two of the, the greatest commands. Like when he's asked what the greatest is, he says, here's the greatest. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you see both of those in this text that we read. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll remain in my love just as I've remained in my Father's love. The first command he gives to show that you want to receive his friendship and give him your friendship is to love him with all that you are. You know, there's real, it's a really interesting research about friendship that says that it takes about 50 hours worth of face-to-face -face time for a mere acquaintance to become a casual friend. Let that sink in. 50 hours 
50 hours of face-to-face time for someone who's a mere acquaintance to become a casual friend. And then it takes 90 hours to upgrade to the standard to the, to the status of standard friend, and it takes 200 additional hours of interaction for a close friendship to develop. Now, this speaks volumes about the way we interact with one another. We spend a lot more time. Face, this, is not, this does not qualify for face-to-face time. We spend hours here. And so it speaks to the epidemic of loneliness we're experiencing, but what does it say about our friendship with Jesus? Jesus, over and over again, that's why he says, remain in me, 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 remain in me. I'm your friend. I want you to be my friend. My command is this, love me, love me, spend time with me, remain in me. Because this is what he's invited. It's an invitation. He says, I want you to spend as much time with me as possible. This is why Richard Verbrand could step out of a jail cell for three years, because who else did he have to remain with? Just Jesus. And so Jesus says, will you remain in me? Will you spend time with me? This is why we talk about reading your Bible. It's why we talk about prayer. It's why we dedicate so much of our time together to prayer. Because it's time with the Lord. Jesus is saying, will you love me the way that I have loved you? He says, will you spend time with me? Will you listen to me? Will you learn to recognize my voice? You know, I had this encounter with Jesus in my early 30s. It wasn't because Jesus wasn't speaking. It's because I didn't know how to recognize his voice. He says, will you remain in me? Learn to recognize my voice in your life. But he doesn't just say, love me, remain in me. He says also, he says, my other command is this, love each other. You know, what I love is friendship with Jesus never just stays with you and Jesus. You watch Jesus do this over and over again in his ministry. He invites these guys into his life, and the first thing he does is he puts them in a friend group. He didn't just say, hey, Peter, follow me. It's me and you, bro. Just me and you, dude. It's just mano a mano. You know, he's like, no, Peter, follow me. I'm going to get your brother Andrew. We're going to get James. We're going to get John. We're going to get Bartholomew. We'll get Matthew. Hey, Thomas, won't you jump in here? Hey, Judas. Eh, okay, come on, Judas. You know, it's like <laughs> Jesus, he builds a friend group. He invites them in, and then he immediately gives them friends to run with. And he says, guys, this is what friendship looks like between you is that you're willing to lay down your lives for each other. Put those, let's get those 10 characteristics back up on the screen real quick. Guys, th- did, you know, did you know that sometimes you are the only picture of friendship with Jesus that the people around you will ever see? When you enter into a relationship, sometimes you are the only picture of what friendship with Jesus will actually look like. And Jesus says, hey guys, this thing that I've offered you, it doesn't just stay here. All these characteristics of a true friend, this is what I'm inviting you to embody with the people around you. You know that some of your friends won't be able to understand friendship with Jesus until they see it lived out in your life, which will then empower them to embrace friendship with Jesus, which will empower them to offer it to others, which will help others step into friendship with Jesus, which will help them embody friendship with Jesus to others, which will help them step into friendship with Jesus. You see how this works, guys. Like Jesus offers us friendship, and then he says, love one another, do this with each other. And the more you do it with each other, the more you'll understand it with me. And the more you understand it with me, the more you'll be able to do it with each other. He says, these are the commands. He says, you're my friends. If you love me, remain in me. You're my friends if you do this with one another. This is what it looks like to live out friendship with Jesus. Remain in me. Love each other. And then there's this one other command that he doesn't mention. Well, he does actually mention it here. He says, I've appointed you to bear much fruit. 
I've appointed you to bear fruit. Matthew chapter 28, he says, all power and authority is mine. Now go and teach the world, teach nations, make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey everything I have taught you. How do we live into friendship with Jesus? Man, uh, this might sound really familiar. How do we live into friendship with Jesus? We love God. We love people. And I'll, I'll tweak it a little bit. We share the good news. I mean, that's what Awaken a Movement is all about, guys. That's why we say it every single week. It's friendship with Jesus. He's not a slave master. He's not a task master. He, he's not someone who looks over your shoulder and just ready to just crack the whip when you mess up. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and he has said, I have elevated you to the status of friendship with the creator of the world. Now, will you give me your friendship by loving me, remaining in me, loving each other, and by sharing the good news with the entire world and make disciples everywhere you go? How do we live deeply in a culture that is constantly changing? And we choose to believe that Jesus isn't just a sage, a dude who lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus is alive and well, the Son of God, and he longs to offer you friendship by letting his spirit come alive within you, and he will be with you everywhere you go. That is how we stay rooted, is that we press into friendship with Jesus, and then we share it with everybody we know. You know, I, I don't know if this is speaking to you. If it's not, I, I, be, I just, I begged, like, I kept begging God, God, will you help me? How do I, I don't know how to help you get it. Some of you already get it, and some of you are going, I don't, what are you talking about? Like, man, guys, Jesus, Jesus, he is alive. He's alive, and he's real, and he loves you more than, more than I know, more than you can understand it. Like he loves you, and he longs to speak into your life. He longs to give you purpose and meaning and value and community and relationships. He longs for it, and I only know how to tell you from what I've experienced. Man, he's so good. He's so much better than I ever dreamt or imagined. He's so much more. And we, we did this series on Rooted because, guys, the culture is trying to shake us. Culture is trying to, like, dislodge us from the promises that he's held out to us. And he has more for us. And it's, I can't think of a better way to land it than, than here with friendship with Jesus. Like, he longs for you to know him everything about him, and he longs to know you. And so you see this whole thing about friendship. As we go to communion today, it is a, it is a, a place of invitation, but also a place of evaluation. And the invitation is this. We come to communion. It, it's the body and the blood of Jesus where Jesus says, hey, I, I've given it all for you. I've laid down my life. Here's my friendship. Will you be my friend as well? And so as you come to communion, Jesus is inviting you some of you did not even know this was possible. You thought church was just this ritual thing. I'm just telling you, Jesus is alive. Like, he wants you to know him. And as we come to communion together, it's this invitation to remember and to invite him in and to respond to his invitation. But it's also this place of evaluation that as you come to communion this morning, it's a place to take the bread and the cup and to remember the type of friend that Jesus is and the type of friendship he invites you into 
And just to kind of ask the question, how are you functioning in friendship with Jesus? Are you that friend that just keeps receiving, 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 but you haven't actually stepped into actually showing him that you want to be his friend too? Are you a friend that is keeping some of the things but not the others? Are you a friend that has tried, but you need your, your friend to reach his hand out to you and lift you up because it's been hard? Like, how are you functioning in your friendship with Jesus? And then also, how are you functioning in your friendships with others? Are you embodying Jesus-style friendship with the people in your life? And we come to the table of grace, Jesus' body and his blood, and he says, I want to help you with this. I want to show you. And so as we come to the table today, that's what I want you to do. Receive the invitation. If you'd like to pray with somebody, if you want to learn more about how do you become friends with Jesus, we'll have men and women at the Respond Banner over here. We'd love to pray with you. Pray with the person you came with. And then as you take the bread with one another, those of you who are in, in friendship with Jesus, just spend some time evaluating. How are you doing? We'll put this slide back on the screen with the 10 characteristics of friendship. And kind of just go through, like, how are you doing with Jesus and how are you doing with each other? Let me pray for us and then I'll release us to the table. Lord, I love you. We love you. Like, I thank you so much, Jesus, that you came, that you, you embodied friendship. You embodied the love of our God, the creator, so that we could see. Thank you for choosing to spend so much time with your friend, John. Thank you for inspiring him to write down what it was like to do life with you. Lord, you know, I've asked, I've asked over and over again, would you help this become real in all of our hearts? And um, we need you to do that. And so I ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, as we come to the table, as we come to one another, as we come to the respond banner, as we respond to this, would you speak? Jesus, would you reveal yourself? Help us to encounter you, to see you, to know you. Would you show yourself as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who invites us into friendship? Come, Lord, come, as we commune with you right now in the name of Jesus. Amen.